On this day of celebration of the birth of our nation, um, I am profoundly grieved with the utter lostness of our culture. That is a heck of a way to start a sermon. Um, we have become completely disconnected from God and any consideration of His ways. And more than that, I'm saddened by how many people who do not know Christ that will spend eternity separated from Him in hell if they do not enter into a saving relationship with Him. I am grieved by my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who buy into the idea that politics is a way to bring sanctification to our country and our culture. So today, I want to look into that matter. I want to look at Galatians chapter 4, starting with verses 41 through chapter 5, verses 15. And this will be the anchor passage for what I'm sharing this morning. My hope is that by the end of this sermon, you will realize that Politics is a poor substitute for the truth of God. That the gospel is really and truly the only hope that we have in the decay of our culture and how we might be able to watch out that we would not follow into the sin of trusting in our flesh for our salvation. And finally, I hope by the end of this Message that you will understand that freedom, as it is explained by this passage, it results in genuine love for country and what that looks like from God's Word. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Galatians, starting with chapter 4, verse 31. Therefore, brothers and sisters... We are not children of a slave, but, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ sets us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. But what matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded... In the Lord, you will not accept any other view. But whoever is, it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty, penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? 
In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wished those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Father God, we just lift up this time to you. We speak. We ask that you speak through us, through, to your, through your word, to our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk through this lesson. Help us, Lord, to have compassion and a heart for those who are lost. Lord, help us to represent you well. Help us to believe and trust in the truth of the gospel. Lord, help us to learn to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A, a little background on this circumcision controversy. In this passage, uh, Paul is warning the Galatians about a drift towards legalism in the early church. Justica justification by faith and righteous works, righteousness through works cannot coexist. In particular, righteousness by works makes justification completely unnecessary. If we can, by our works, earn our way into God's good graces, then Christ's sacrifice was for nothing. It reduces the work of the cross to mere symbolism that we're to follow. There's no transforming power, only the persuasion to live in some moral manner. Legalism sets the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, on its head. Christianity becomes a religion to be compared to every other religion which tries to inspire people to live good and moral lives. There is no moral authority. There is no absolute truth. There is no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It reduces Christianity to a moral code with a host of ancient parables that at best are confusing to a modern mind. Legalism renders Christianity impotent and irrelevant. In Paul's day, the issue was with a group called the Judaizers. Paul introduces this term in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? There's the, there's the term, to live like Jews. Judaizers were trying to get Gentiles to live like Jews. Some of the Jews in the congregation were saying that the non-Jews had to live according to Jewish laws and customs of the Jewish religion. And that if they did not live according to the Jewish way, then they were not justified before God. Circumcision represented this party of early Christians as described in 
verse 12 of Galatians 2. It says, For he ate regularly with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. This party did not develop in a vacuum. The history of Israel leading up to this very moment in time of Christ was powerful in forming a national, social, cultural, religious, and political identity among the Jews. The wars with the Greeks and the Syrians played no small part in forming this national culture based on purity and following these Jewish uh, traditions. These traditions of Uh, can be summarized in four areas. Circumcision, sacred places, sacred times, and sacred foods. The Syrian Greeks sought to destroy the Jews by getting them to adopt Greek ways. You see, if they could get the Jewish people to adopt Greek ways, they would destroy their culture. And as a result of this, the Jewish people revolted. There was a revival of sorts, if you will, in reinforcing the circumcision and sacred practices related to Sabbath festivals, places, and foods. This solidarity was followed by victories against their oppressors, and ultimately, they were able to defend themselves. Nicanor, a Syrian general who was defeated by the Jews, uh, proclaimed that the Jews had a defender. And that the laws that they followed, ordained by him, made them invulnerable. This belief of the right of circumcision was a key piece that allowed the Jews to experience victory. In fact, it was falling away from these things that caused them to and led to the Jewish occupation. From a writing from the same period, we, we read... And now I shall announce to you that the sons of Israel will deny this ordinance and will not circumcise their sons according to the law. Because of the flesh of their circumcision, they will leave the circumcision in their sons. And all their sons by law will be, their sons will leave without circumcising just as they were born. And a great wrath from God will be upon the sons of Israel because they have left his covenant and turned aside from his words. And they provoked and blasphemed, and much they have not done the ordinance of this law. They have made themselves like the Gentiles to be removed and uprooted from the land. There was a strong emphasis of separation from the Gentiles as a national movement as well. Another quote from that same period of time, it says, Separate yourselves from the Gentiles. Do not eat with them. Do not perform deeds like theirs. And do not become associates of theirs. Because of their deeds are defiled, all their ways are contaminated, despicable, and abominable. You see, it's against this legalistic and hyper-nationalistic tendencies that the Judaizers are pulling early believers away from the true gospel. A quick point before moving on here. 
Paul is not arguing against being a Jew. We know that he himself practiced and encouraged practices of his Jewish heritage. For example, he encourages Timothy, whose mother is Jewish, to get circumcised. And so we can say that Paul is not anti-circumcision. What he was against was the notion that from this national elitist party that the only way to be justified before God was to become a Jew and keep Jewish laws. Here's what we can conclude so far. Jewish legalism does not save. Jewish elitism does not save. Jewish ethnocentrism does not save. Jewish nationalism does not save. And I want to suggest to you that the same thing applies to us. You might be saying, but we're not Jews, BJ. And that's true. But to be clear, Christian legalism does not save. Christian elitism does not save. Christian ethnocentrism does not save. Christian nationalism does not save. On this point, there can be no dispute. When we add legalism, elitism, ethnocentrism, or nationalism to the gospel, our beliefs about salvation and the genuine gospel become quite inferior and quite unable to justify a person before God. Taking it a step further, legalism, elitism, ethnocentrism, and nationalism alienates us from Christ. Paul suggests that those who follow such tendencies have fallen from grace. How is it that we can tell that we're falling into this error? What are some practical ways that we can look at this and determine whether we've fallen into this danger for us? In Galatians chapter, 15, or chapter 5, verse 15, it reads, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I believe this is a very healthy uh, warning to us as believers. The bite here is the same word that would be used for a snake bite. Imagine that, a poisonous snake bite. When we use our words and our actions to bite one another, bite another believer, we are in danger of this spirit of the Judaizers. The next word is to devour. This word paints a picture of completely and violently destroying something. The goal of this action is to bring about the ruin of another person. The last word is to consume. And this word is the utter elimination of another person. Ultimately, legalism, elitism, 
ethnocentrism and nationalism are works of the flesh. We read this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. It's this next set of words that I want to focus in on. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what can we say on this patriotic patriotic holiday of our country? Well, I would say in the same way that we can look to Paul to warn us against those things that we ought not to do, we can also look to Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to figure out how we as Christians are to live out our duty and discover this expression of Christian freedom in this passage. And I want to say there's four expressions of Christian freedom. The first one is to stand firm in your freedom. The second one is to put your confidence in the Holy Spirit. The third one is to place your faith in the gospel. And the th- fourth one is to serve one another in love. That is how we live it out. Let's di- dig into that. Paul suggests here that we stand firm in the freedom that we have in Christ. You see, before we come to know Christ, we are slaves to sin. Now, some people will try to get out of being a slave to sin by engaging in legal, self-righteous works of the law. However, the unmistakable reality is that no self-effort will save our souls. No self-righteous patriotism patriotism will give us freedom, at least not spiritually. Our freedom is in Christ. Christ. When we trust in the grace and forgiveness found in Christ, we are set free from sin. We are set free from legalism. Let us stand firm in this. Listen, sin is an entanglement. Legalism is an entanglement. As believers, we've been set free from both of these conditions. Sin and legalism pollute and destroy the soul. In liberty, the liberty we have in Christ, however, brings our souls to life. Christ, in Christ, we can really live. Christ uh, can raise us up on high. Christ can bring the calling to our lives. Christ can transform our lives in, in service to God and for the benefit of others. We are set free, my dear brothers and sisters. God has set us free. It is in this freedom that we fulfill the purposes of our lives. What is more, when we live in freedom from guilt, uh, shame, pride, hatred, prejudices, rages, 
and divisions. We become a shining light to the world around us. If we don't, we lose our witness. What happens when a church loses its witness? God removes it. You see, we have a choice. We can walk in the freedom we find in Christ, or we can find ourselves removed from relevance in this world. Now, to be clear, God's and His Word are relevant at every age. But if we fail to stand firm in the freedom we find in Christ, then we will become irrelevant and useless. It is important to note here that standing firm is not an effort that we do on our own. This is not exchanging one form of legalism for another form of legalism. We do not put confidence in ourselves to discern and live a right life. We do not rise up to do good works. No, our confidence is in the power of the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Our good works are evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It is Holy Spirit-inspired, empowered, and substantive faith that transforms our hearts towards God. His hope, His righteousness, and His blessed Son. We as believers ought to look at the challenging and difficult times with wondrous anticipation for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must set our minds on the Spirit. We must walk according to the Spirit. We must embrace faith, hope, and love. These are found in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit of God. This is our seal. This is our inheritance. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is our freedom. Just an aside, if you'll allow me, one of the lies of Christian nationalism is that our freedom is bestowed to us by the state. We look to politicians to defend our freedom. Think about that for just a moment. Think about the level of deception, thievery, waste, neglect, hypocrisy, self-interest, and outright evil that is, that is accomplished by everyday politics. Why in the world would we place our hope in such a distorted and unrighteous system. I remember a quote from Chuck Colson in 2007. He said, it, When the church aligns itself politically, it gives priority to the compromises of temporal successes of political world rather than its Christian confession of eternal truth. And when the church gives up its rightful place as a conscience of culture, the consequences for society 
can be horrific. Well, it's been 15 years since Chuck Colson made that quote, and I submit to you that we have experienced 15 years of horrific consequences for our society and culture. We have not lost moral ground because the church has not been political enough. We have lost moral ground because we have abandoned the Christian confession of eternal truth and exchanged it for political action and expediency. We must return to the Holy Spirit-filled hope that we find in Christ if we are to experience any revival in our hearts at all. My hope is a good news message. We have placed our faith in this gospel. It reminds me of another Chuck Colson quote that would be appropriate here. He says, I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope that each one of us has is not in who governs us, what laws are passed, or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That is where our hope is in this country. That is where our hope is in life. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, also to the Greek. Do you believe this morning? Have you placed your hope in the saving power of Christ? If not, then perhaps you would place your hope in Christ this morning. If you have been saved, it is through the power of the gospel, then, then Paul has this to say to you in Galatians chapter, six verse, or chapter 5, verse 6. What matters is faith working through love. Love, dear brothers and sisters, is the work of faith. It is our faith... If our faith does not have the work of love, we have a pitiful, shallow, and ineffective faith. Love is the highest calling as believers. Love moves, moves us away from sin as we learn how to obey God. Love moves us away from the sin of legalism as we learn to serve those around us. Make no mistake, love is the premier fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Notice that love is the first evidence that we are keeping with the Spirit of God. Now, this spirit of love leads us into service to one another. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our freedom is not an opportunity to sin. Our freedom is not an opportunity for legalism. Our freedom, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is an opportunity to serve one another in love. We escape legalism and fulfill the law by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Don't miss this. Our freedom is an opportunity to serve others in love. Freedom of the world says, leave me alone, let me do whatever I want, whenever I want. Freedom in Christ says, I am unencumbered by sin and self-righteousness. How can I serve you and look out for your well-being? Freedom of the world is self-absorbed. Freedom of Christ focuses on others. Freedom of the world is gratifying the desires of the flesh. Freedom of Christ is honoring your Heavenly Father by walking in the Spirit. Freedom of the world is don't tell me what I can and cannot do. Freedom in Christ is teach me your way, O Lord. How can I minister to those around me? Freedom of the world is unhitched from God. Freedom in Christ is abiding in Him. For freedom, Christ set us free. Before I close, I want to offer one more admonition. As we celebrate this birth of our nation, when we love our nation, are we moved with a great sense of urgency and compassion for its people? Nationalism is a commitment to a human ideology. As we've already said, this human ideology pollutes the gospel. Love of country, though, is a longing for its people. And we see an example of this in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. We read there, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could w- wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. Here, the people of Israel were rejecting Christ. When people reject Christ in our country, we are often grieved, but it leads to anger and hostility. Paul, though, takes a different path. When his country 
men rejected the gospel, he was grieved with great sorrow and anguish, unceasing anguish. Do you see that? Our marriage to politics has led us down a path where we hate and despise our fellow countrymen. Paul takes it a step further. He expresses a willingness to be completely spent and used up for the sake of the very people that were rejecting his message. He takes it even further than that. He suggests that if it was possible that he would be cut off from Christ for the benefit of his kinsmen. Albert Barnes says it this way, the idea, therefore, in these, place, in these places is simply, I could be willing to be destroyed, devoted to death for the sake of my countrymen. And the apostle evidently means to say that he would be willing to suffer the bitterest of evils, forego all pleasure, endure any privation and toil, nay, to offer his life so that he might be wholly devoted to sufferings as an offering that he might be the means of benefiting and saving a nation. Dear brothers and sisters, if you want to understand Christian patriotism, this is what we ought to look to do. Some questions here that are going to be on the screen. Are you willing to suffer forego pleasure, offer your life for your fellow Americans? Are you willing to release hatred and strife? Are you willing to be weighed down by the utter lostness of the world around you? Are you willing, as Paul was, to love people enough to boldly proclaim the gospel message to those around you? If you are not willing, then your freedom is wasted. Don't waste the freedom that Christ has given you. This, my brothers and sisters, is our moment. This is our liberty. Let us love God boldly. Let us love one another boldly. Let us love our fellow, fellow citizens boldly. The fellow citizens of this great country that was founded on the idea that freedom is from God. Stand with me as we pray. Father God, we just want to come before you and thank you for the blessings of freedom, for the blessings of liberty. We recognize, Lord, that if there is any freedom, if there is any liberty, that it comes from you. It is not given to us by Washington, D.C. It is not given to us by political parties. It is a gift 
that you have given us. And Lord, I pray, confessing that we have taken this gift for granted, that we've soiled this gift of freedom and liberty. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to make things right. First and foremost, Lord, with me and my heart. Help us as a body that follows you, that understands what genuine Christian freedom is, to boldly go forth, to love others, to be filled with devotion and passion for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. To walk boldly, to be poured out and spent for your sake. And so Lord, it is with great anticipation for what you are going to do by the power of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives that I leave all these things to you. And ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Fill us with your Spirit. Guide us by your Spirit as to what we might do in upcoming days. Lord, we lift all these things up to you and pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to come forward this morning and uh, understand the gospel, what it means, I would love to talk to you and share that with you. If you need to come and have a moment of prayer, I'll be here for uh, a few minutes to to receive you and and pray with you. Um, Even after uh, the song service is over, I'd be willing to talk with you. But I want you to really think about those questions. Are you willing to be poured out for the sake of your fellow countrymen? Are you willing to be filled with the burden for the need of salvation of souls? Are you willing to serve others in love?